0: Welcome to News from a Boring Dystopia. Today, we discuss the political slash legislative coup that occurred in Peru. Today, a special guest joins us, Peruvian sociologist and activist from La Pontifica Universidad del Peru, Daniela Salas. Uh, Welcome, Daniela.
1: Thank you for having me here. Before we start our discussion, um, today, Sunday, the 15th, President Manuel Marino decided to resign on live TV after the death of two young men, and a lot of injured people. There were protests for almost six days in a row. And those led to not only material destruction, but also the loss of lives. So I guess that we can start by giving a little bit of context on what happened and why we end up in this state in Peru. So what happened was that Peruvian President Martin Vizcarra was impeached by Congress on November 9th. And that incited a lot of social unrest, which resulted in devastating protests for the past six days. You might know that Peru was heavily impacted by the coronavirus and currently has the second highest coronavirus death rate in the world. Therefore, when this huge political unrest happened people were just really concerned that what was going to happen with the pandemic and all the people that were already dying because of this virus and then after vizcarra was impeached president of congress manuel merino became the de facto president of peru he was elected to congress with only 5271 votes which means that he actually had little to no representation and this is one of the main reasons why the Peruvian population were so against this new president because he was not part of any party that truly represented our country. So maybe why don't we go yes. back to the day when Biscarra was impeached. So that was November November 9th. And I know that same day protests started. So I guess like, when did you decide to go out and protest? Mm-hmm. And why did you decide to go out?
2: I I wanted to go protest the same Monday, but I had a lot of things to do <laughs> work-wise. And I didn't uh, protest until Wednesday, but Wednesday I just went to this um, kind of quiet protest near my house. But I decided to go to our, it's not our main square, but it's um, like really central. Whenever we protest at um, Plaza Plaza San Martin, we usually gather in this place to protest um, many different topics. I've been doing this kind of protest things for um, years. I've never seen so many people. Uh, when I uh, I've been reading about this. Um, Um, a political scientist that I really consider, that I really appreciate, was um, uh, saying that there hasn't been another protest as big as Thursday's, as uh, the one that was after Fujimori, Fujimori was elected for the third time. Uh, in that um, march that we call uh, La Marcha de los Cuatro Suyos. That was a really breaking point in our democratic history. So that's a reason to feel proud because you you can realize that we as people we are gathering we are like enraged we feel this the need to go out and protest uh, to maybe leave for a few hours our work our all the things we have to do to go out and be heard. I knew that it was more dangerous to go out to El Centro de Lima because we already knew that police uh, brutality may be stronger there, Um, and it was. Uh, I actually have a few experiences with that, um, and all from Thursday. And I arrived at that um, Plaza San Martin about about, uh, 7 o'clock, and the concentration was, uh, the meeting was called to, to, I I think, 4 or 5 o'clock. But then um, the, um, the time that it took you to get there was a lot more than usual. So I arrived two hours later. <laughs> but anyway, when we got there, I went with a few friends and the, the place that all the streets around was full of people. So that was encouraging so because um, you already knew that that was going to be historic. But then at around eight o'clock, maybe like four or five blocks away from where I was walking with my friends, um, we started uh, hearing these, um, these really loud noises of people running, running towards the, um, the plaza. So, um, but we didn't fee- we didn't uh, understand what was happening but then when we saw twitter we got we we could read that uh, people were saying no they are throwing to your gas in that area so you don't you shouldn't go there avoid those areas um and that that happened uh, not once but many times during the night uh, we have this thing right now because of the COVID emergency um Toque de queda, curfew, around 11. So, but people were still in the streets. So that was a big problem because if people stay in the streets, uh, police could do almost anything. So we were like rushing everyone to get back home safe um, around 10. I went, uh, I returned to my house at around 10 because I didn't want to get in any trouble, but but I had already smelled tear gas. And it's horrible because you see people, you don't see only young people. You see um, old people, really young um, teenagers or people with with kids. And those things are still happening. One of the most horrible things I heard from yesterday's um, protest was that a baby had smelled tear gas and... It's such as independent networks of um, journalists, but also Twitter and all those uh, social networks, right? Um, and that's how you first learn from all the deaths. Um, officially, uh, there's been an, uh, there has been announced two that, and that's already horrible enough. But at around uh, 1 a.m. today, uh, you could read that there were uh, that people from hospitals around uh, the central Lima area were saying that there were two more, and just uh, one hour ago I was reading Twitter and they were saying that there were already ten deaths, but um, they weren't being announced because police were like containing the information because they didn't want they didn't want it to become public to the public knowledge. And that is really um, a really worrying situation. I mean, that's not a democracy. I've never experienced that level of, I've never seen that level of censorship, right? And it's, it's completely out of place and we are enraged. There are people still that are still saying that we, the people that go out and protest, are we are doing it because of political reasons. That we are puppets. That we are being paid. Even like, how how can it be possible that you pay like thousands of people? We, it's like the second largest march in our history. I've never seen that kind of repression. Um, that kind of. Um, brutality against people that are just following their right to protest and to be heard. And if you look up in Twitter, for example, and see what's happening, uh, there's like this wrong information about uh, these people saying that, oh, but maybe those are like um, young people involved in, in terrorist groups. And they are like um, influenced by uh, La Guerra Popular, which is, uh, you could translate that to the, the popular war that goes back to the ideas of the, our terrorist horrible past back in the 80s. But that is a complete lie.
3: Yeah, uh, Daniela, uh, that's happened n- not the same as like this political and police aggression here in Brazil, but our president all the movements against him is always called communists or people are being manipulated or have been toys in the hands of the opposition parties and I mean it's it's a very undemocratic uh, stance to 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 be because I mean uh, you're like a taking the reason of the people and throwing the garbage because you say you can't you you are not able, you're not capable of doing this by yourselves. You have to be controlled, paid, or even fed by this by these parties or opposition. And then when people like uh get angry or sometimes when the police attack them first or any other kind of repression and people try to react. We are called the bandits. We are called the troublemakers. We're called the communists. We're called the, I mean, and the people started to invoke like uh, the dictatorship past that we had. It's it's Latin America. So, I mean, uh, Mm -hmm. We we know how to, we know this, how this elite reality is hard. You're not alone in this situation. I mean, we all face this as well. I mean, people in my family, people around me, people like uh, in my community, people, some people call me communist, some people call me socialist just because I say no to the president.
4: As, I, as a Peruvian as well, it's one of the most heartbreaking things that you could ever experience, you know? I think that also, in view of everything that's been going on, forget about COVID-19 to begin with. I mean, COVID-19, completely separate to a political crisis that's been going on in Peru since 2016. Um, And this being what what I do my master's on at university, I would always say, I would say that it goes back all the way to the Constitution del 93, the, the 1993 Constitution from the um, Alberto Fujimori Fujimori's first government. In fact, after the after the coup, um, well, the golpe, the autogolpe, self-coup the Fujimori in in the 90s, they only drafted the 1993 Constitution due to international pressure pressure and from there what we have seen is a series of both ineffective and ridiculous governments that whilst they've been trying to lift peru up from the situation that was left in the early 2000s late 90s they've also as uh, i saw this interesting statistic the other day but every single um precedent from Fujimori on has been trialed or has been incarcerated for um corruption allegations you know look at Oyanda look at look look at for example look at Oyanda and Nadine you know they were they were incarcerated for a period of time because of because of that and I think that what is most disappointing is how the Vizcarra administration has mounted a war on corruption in Peru and I think that the actual pandemic in Peru is not so much COVID-19 as much as it is corruption you know if it wasn't for the corruption pandemic that there is in Peru, you wouldn't have the situation right now. And I think that's the, that's the best way to, in my opinion, to describe a situation, is the situation is the endemic corruption of Peru and most Latin, and Latin American countries per se particularly Vizcarra, the, the whole opposition towards him has been because he's been trying to change parliamentary immunity and he's been trying to change the endemic yes. corruption in Peru. And what's most disappointing is that he dissolved Congress constitutionally and Congress went against him, you know, and they they, they forced the second vice president, Mercedes Raos, to Um, swear in as president, and then she had to step down immediately, and now Vizcarra has been destituted by the government, by the Congress that he himself brought up after dissolving the first one, so the first Congress that had the Fujimori majority is the one that created so many issues, made Kuczynski resign back in 2018, and then from there you've had Vizcarra, you've had Arauz, and now you've had, again, that same Congress that was brought because of Biscarra's anti-corruption has now vacated, like sent him on his way, because of corruption itself. You know, it's uh, it was it was I think it's 108 votes against him, out of which 68 were had allegations of corruption or had been are on investigation because of it. You know, so I I've, as as you said, he's resigned in the past hour, but. Um, and I, the thing is, if you, if you are involved with anyone that has to do anything to do with social media in Peru, you will just be flooded by hashtags and different publications like Merino renuncia, uh, Merino renuncia ya, or Merino no es mi presidente. And I, I wanted to ask you, in fact, about the, you've discussed a lot about the, um, the role of Twitter. How would you describe the role of social media in organizing the protests and dealing with the protests?
2: I think overall it's been a huge success. There've been a, a little, a few mistakes, maybe. Um, for instance, um, on Thursday there was this moment that the, our Wi-Fi um, was our in general our connection to internet was really really low and problematic but uh, and people were saying oh maybe that's the the government that wants to shut us down but it it wasn't like that i mean our wi-fi network is always really bad as a country so it it, that wasn't a kind of oppression that was actually um, because i mean thousands of people were gathered in that same area and we were all trying to live stream from instagram for example, right, so um, it wasn't like a sign of oppression, Uh, um, that may be be a sign of um, terror and if we kept spreading that word, right, um, we should be careful to um, all the information that comes from social media, but overall it's been a huge success because that's the way we've been uh, keeping informed.
4: Yeah, I mean, as you say, what I I find most interesting, (laughs) obviously, how in peru we're very prone to just take to the streets you know if anyone if any one of the listeners was watching the 2018 fifa world cup you can just get an idea of what it is like to be peruvian and what what it is like to go out on the streets you had um i remember the the match between peru and france was just a whole stadium worth of peruvian people they just taken to the streets and it's the same thing and what what was most interesting to me as well was that um (laughs) It wasn't only in Lima, it wasn't only Plaza San Martín, it wasn't only San, Mar- San Martín Square, but it was everywhere. It was in Inquitos, it was in LA that I know, I, I know that Alejandra attended the, um, the protest in LA. So it was everywhere. Everywhere around Peruvian people came out and protested, which I think is the most in- interesting thing because it's not international pressure from other countries. It's actually international pressure from the Peruvian diaspora, you know, the Peruvian people abroad. What's most important is how, and um, what you were saying is the role of social media has been amazing at um, publicizing it. You know, for me particularly, being in the UK, yes. I remember I found out about when I was laying when I was laying in bed, just look at Instagram, and then it said uh, they, the the president has been thrown out, and I said, "You what? He was got was ousted with Article One or Thirteen, which refers to changing the president and." Um, the process to vacate the precedent, whereas um, the article that needs to be reformed is Article ninety three, which refers to parliamentary immunity. In my research, I remember discussing Article ninety three with Luis Piedri, who was a, who oh used to be the uh, second vice president of Peru during Alan Garcia's government in the two thousands, and I, and he used to be part of the APRA, um, he used to be a congressman for APRA. and I asked him about parliamentary immunity. You know, I said. What is your opinion on it? Do you it should be changed? How do you stand by it? And he did make a compelling case because in Peru you can be sued for defamation of character if you were to say such an individual, such a company is creating these issues, which is completely understandable, and you would understand. Okay, this is why parliamentary immunity is a thing to protect legislative power from particular offen- from particular possible attacks. But when when it comes to corruption cases, and when it comes to what we are facing at the moment it is it is something that is not even a question anymore. It is something that has to happen. And I think that rightly so just going onto social media you can see how the new hashtag and the new um the new force that is started in the past hour is no paris, you know, no ahí I think it's which refers to we shouldn't stop at getting merino out but we should also carry on to taking out the 68 congress people that voted for him okay. and i think that that is where the protesting and where everything's going to carry on towards now following RBP, which is the program or one of the major uh, news networks um it's actually interesting to see that the purple party or partido Morado, they've actually called for dissolving the vacancia so the, the they've actually called to for, Cong- for the Congress to go back on to their decision and reinstate this, particularly because right now, it would be impossible, and not only impossible, but also immoral and ridiculous to try and get a new uh, president or, and a new um, gabinete ministerial, a new, a new um, minister cabinet. Now, let's yeah. not forget that in Peru, it is actually illegal to not take part in elections. So which means that if we were to try and hold elections right now, which it would be the most democratic thing for us to do, you would have 30 million people, not 30 million people, but you have a majority, a large proportion of people forced out to go and vote, which would also lead to the propagation of the, the um the spread of COVID-19 in the country, as you like, as you rightly pointed out, with the second worst death toll in the world. So From a personal perspective, I completely agree with that stance, and I don't. And I also think that the issue at hand, and I think that is what I would like for what I what my message would be, is that this whole thing doesn't stop at at uh, administrative level. You know, I think I think that's what hashtag is. It doesn't stop. at the the administration. It carries on to the legislative power, but more importantly, it should carry on home. You know, I think that as Peruvians, we kind of live in this environment where corruption is just the norm, it's normal. You know, if you get stopped in the street by a police officer, you just give him 20 soles and just carry on on your way, you know? Or it's you know, how much is it gonna be? And I think that that is the major issue to change as people you know i think that it's great for us to complain and say to the 68 congress people you must resign you must get away from this like we we need to get you out but if we ourselves are not willing to change if we ourselves are not willing to take all of this on board then we're still going to elect corrupt officials we are still going to allow uh, corruption to take Center stage in what is our politics and what is our nation's future, and I think that that is what we must change to begin with. You know, it's if we change at home, then we could change the whole country. And that as and I will leave it with a very interesting phrase, which I think we all use, which is el mayor enemigo del Peruan- de un peruano is otro peruano, the biggest enemy of a Peruvian is another Peruvian, and I think that that's where we should start.
1: Yeah, so I just wanted to go off from that and say that now we've realized that our voices are actually powerful. The problem with Peruvian democracy is that although it is mandated for all Peruvians that are able to vote to vote, um, a lot of people don't take this seriously. They go and they might live their ballot in blank. We're actually no one's going to look at your ballot and see if you actually mark someone some people even write stuff on their ballots or draw stuff and that makes it an invalid ballot and therefore although we say that we have this popular democracy that allows everyone to vote what a beautiful thought actually a lot of people are just showing up to get the sticker because um after we vote we get a sticker in our national identity card, proving that we vote so that we don't have to pay a fine. And so although you have this huge population going to vote, they're actually, some of them are not doing it, are actually not getting informed, actually not thinking about the decisions that they're taking. And so I think that this just proves that we Peruvians have to inform ourselves. The biggest takeaway that we have as a community that really sees now that our voices are being heard, is that our vote should be informed. And that's what I've been trying to tell all of my friends and spreading on social media, that this is not over here. This is all about promoting a culture of understanding and engagement in politics. Because we're seeing that if we don't choose right, when we have the right and the chance, this is what happens.
2: I completely agree that we, as uh, as citizens, we need to be informed and be well informed, and to engage in all this uh, political stuff that 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 keeps on happening and uh, will keep on happening. Right now, I mean, this will continue, and maybe this is not just the end, but it is um, instead it is the beginning or something else, because we uh, as Peruvians, uh, we right now, we are sure that all our voices can be heard in the streets. And that is, um, we already knew that because I mean, for the last 20 years, we've been out in the streets, um, not once a year, but in many occasions, I mean, And maybe the majority of all those um, events uh, have happened because of corruption cases. And that is because uh, maybe a a political scientist, I am not one, but a political scientist would tell you that this is a a problem rooted in our weak democratic system. That is like um, something we have inherited after Fujimori. Uh, that is a, an issue that will uh, carry on if we don't do anything and if, and if we stay at home and we don't protest and right now well, the thing that, that I think is uh, something that we have to be really aware of and and really to be informed about is um, all those democratic parties that have um, uh, people uh, in their list to, to be elected that have, Uh, all these corruption cases being investigated, but they still run for a place in the Congress. That is so, uh, that that, that should be um, like an emergency alert or something. We shouldn't be able to vote for that kind of people. There are so many different political parties that just run For one occasion. Those are like kind of enterprise-like arrangements and not like a political message behind with an organization. How can that be possible?
0: As an American who often has to deal with my own population being uninformed, I truly empathize with you, Daniela. But as this recent election in the U.S. has shown, it is possible to progress in in this regard. States with historically uninformed voters like Georgia, Voted in their self interest for the first time in decades. With that being said, Kanye West only got 60,000 votes, so we do have quite a long way to go. Uh, I wish you well, Daniela, and hope for Peru to have a strong leader that can uh, guide you through this uh, unfortunate pandemic. Thanks so much.
2: Yes, and I, I want to thank you all for uh, feeling the need to shed a light on something that is so important and maybe, and I I haven't seen so many uh, American-based journalists that may be covering this news. So I think it's really important to have this kind of spaces. So thumbs up and a big thank you.
1: Two days after this episode was recorded, on November 17th, Congressman Francisco Sagasti from Partido Morado was elected as the new head of Congress to replace Manuel Merino. Zagasti was sworn in as interim president of Peru and will conclude his mandate in July 2021 when a newly elected president takes over. Although Zagasti has been wildly applauded by Peruvians, some people are still in the streets protesting against police brutality and parliamentary immunity. With that said, follow us on Instagram at FromBoringD and on Twitter at FromBoring. I know the username sums off, but don't let it turn you down. Until next time!